Today we welcome all of you, we especially welcome our guests as we celebrate this uh, beautiful day of worship, uh, uh, Martin Luther King weekend, as we give thanks for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his witness of justice and peace, and remember his vision, amen. Uh, we also come as we continue in our sermon series, The Path, uh, Rediscovering Our Journey with Christ, and today we move into the second part of that uh, journey together. Last week, as I said earlier in the service, we celebrated the Epiphany. We talked about the Magi uh, coming. They had seen a star in the east, and they followed it. It led them, that light uh, led them to Bethlehem after several stops along the way, uh, even dealing with King Herod. And uh, eventually they came and presented their gifts, and they were filled with joy. They were on a path. And the light of Bethlehem's star led them to encounter Christ, and I'm sure their lives were never the, the same. They were never the same. And then they, I'm assuming, I thought they would go back the same way they'd come. Uh, GPS said that was the fastest way, and there were no tolls, you know, so it seemed like the right way to go. But they were warned in a dream that the path had changed, and it was time to go a different way, not only to deliver Christ, but to lead them back in safety. So in many ways, last week we started by saying that many times when we're on this path with Jesus, we think we're going one way, and sometimes Jesus redirects us to go another way or at least to alter the way so that we might live more fully and more connected more deeply with him. Amen? Well, when we're on this journey, we can't just take a journey without some resources, right? And we can't just take this path without some strengthening and, and some things that will help us along the way. I mean, uh, you, you, you don't go on a trip without some plans. You don't go on a trip without some luggage. You don't go on a trip without a plane ticket or at least gas in your car or whatever you do to make a, a journey. And so we, we have to prepare uh, to be on the path and to be resourced on the path and to strengthen ourselves for the journey, right? Several years ago, after I got here, you know, on Monday nights we have a, a basketball, men's basketball league here. You're welcome to join it. It meets every uh, Monday night, I think around 6.30, and it's a group, good group of guys and a lot of fun. And one of them had invited me to play, right? And I'll be honest with you, it took a lot of prayer to decide whether I should pray, play or pray, right? Uh, probably both. And, uh, and, and I said, oh, I don't know. And, you know, I said, I've got things to do. Monday night's a big meeting night. But somehow, some way, I got convinced to play in the league that year. Now, it's obvious to you this body was not meant for basketball. Amen, right? And, uh, and uh, the last time I played amazing basketball was in sixth grade uh, in the middle school for the church league, right? And I, the only score I made was for the other team by accident, amen, right, you know? So it's not like I have a long history of good basketball playing, but I think the guys wanted me to be a part of it. I wanted to be a part of it. So that first Monday night came, and I had my new sneakers on, basketball shoes, and I had shorts and a shirt, and I was ready to go, and we played. And I'll be honest with you, I thought it was going to be kind of easy, but this group was pretty intense, amen, right? And there was quite a bit of expectation, and it was very involved, and, and uh, I began to discover quickly I was not prepared for this event, right? So as the in evening ended two hours, two very long hours later, uh, I said, oh, guys, it was fun, great to see you. Went to my office and thought, I hope I can get home, right, you know? And I remember just kind of shuttling out to the car, right, because I could hardly move. 
And then it just got worse. Like I got home and I was just like so sore. And then I don't know if you've been there where you've decided to do something like I'm going to work out or I'm going to go for a long walk. And then you wake up the next morning. Have you ever done that? And the alarm goes off and you can't reach the alarm because your hand is so sore, right? I just remember kind of reaching over. I couldn't even get to it. And then I thought, how am I going to get out of bed? And so as I crawled to the shower, I thought, I can't do this. There's no way. And it wasn't easy. But I kept going back, and I started walking every morning. And I, I, in between calls and meetings, I would go into the gym here and shoot baskets. And I would try to do some stretching. A friend of mine helped coach me. And we would meet up, and he would show me how to do things and to run and all that. And it never really got easier, frankly, right? And, and I will tell you, April, when, you know, of course, my team was at the bottom of the tournament, right? I'm sure those guys were like, oh, we really made a mistake here, right? But, but the, the gift was when it was over that last Monday in April, I praised the Lord. I was full of joy. But I couldn't do it if I didn't get ready for it. Whether it's basketball or football or any kind of base uh, sport, whether it's debate or uh, uh, intellectual uh, endeavor, a degree, whether it's uh, sewing or crafts or whether it's whatever it is in your life, if we don't practice it and improve it, if we don't practice our voice, if we sing or learn how to play the bells or, or, or repeat our, ourselves on the trombone, right, Tom, we will not be able to take on the event, Right? We need discipline. So today, often we say, folks, we, need to, we want to go deeper with Jesus. We want to, we want to have a stronger relationship with Christ. We, we want to be more connected to God. And, and, and yet, it's hard for us. I, I talked to several of you via email and phone this week, and I really appreciate your responses. It's been interesting to hear what some of you said. Some of you said, my, my prayer life, my fasting life, my spiritual life is in pretty good shape, but I, but I wish, right? Or... I, I'm okay where I am, but I, I wish I could do more, or I wish I were more intentional. Some of you said, no, my spiritual life is not good at all. I don't take time. I don't pray. Or if I do, it's just off the cuff. I've, I've rarely fasted. And, you know, all the other things of journaling and so forth, I've, I've not been a part of, right? And others have just said mostly, I, I bet 90% of the folks who said they struggle with their spiritual life, it's about time. It's about schedule. It's about busyness, and it's about intentionality. Spiritual disciplines are not meant for us to feel guilty. They're not meant for us to feel like we're less than, but they're much like the conditioning one does, whether they're singing an opera or playing a baseball game. You have to strengthen yourself to be able to take the journey. A friend of mine, Melissa Early, is a pastor at First Church in Arlington Heights, and she's going to Patagonia, Chile to do Five days of mountain hiking. That sounds like a nightmare to me. Amen, right? But the way she's conditioned herself is to walk so many miles a day and then to walk those miles and walk her dog carrying a backpack full of bricks. Her neighbors think she's a little odd, frankly. Amen, right? But it's a way for her to strengthen and prepare and to be disciplined. Now, let's talk about spiritual disciplines. Next week, we'll start talking about spiritual gifts. We'll spend two weeks on spiritual gifts. That's different. Those are gifts given by the Spirit. Disciplines are practices we do to strengthen our faith and deepen our relationship with Christ. And here they are. And many of them are rooted in Judaism. 
Scripture, right? That makes sense. If Scripture is our primary revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ, we should spend time in Scripture beyond Sunday morning. Amen? So it's Scripture reading, Scripture reflecting, and then maybe even memorizing Scripture. And, and very often, you know, I've, I'm even guilty of this. I work on the Scripture I'm preaching on, but rarely do I spend time in other Scripture. And so I've been really trying to be more intentional to read Scriptures that are assigned that make me encounter the Word in ways that I would not. Amen, right? So Scripture. Second is prayer, not a surprise to you. And many times we have a, an idea of what prayer looks like uh, or what it should be. Prayer can happen in so many ways can be out loud, it can be personal, it can be as you drive, it can, just don't close your eyes. Uh, you know, it's just all of these potential possibilities for prayer. We'll talk more about that. Meditation. A couple of you said that you are very intentional about meditation. Some of you practice meditation within yoga. You'll take a scripture, you'll meditate on it. Some of you will meditate at home, you'll light a candle. It's, it's different from praying. You're literally just focusing on the direction of the Spirit and what the Word is saying to you. Meditation. Fasting. Now, I think that all makes us nervous. And, and some of you said, I've never even done fasting, or I have challenges health-wise that would keep me from fasting. But fasting's more than food, amen, right? I try to fast from electronic devices and put my phone up for three or four hours so that I'm focused and not trying to answer messages or see the latest TikTok, amen? I just want to tell you, TikTok is not a spiritual discipline, amen, right? Okay. <laughs> And I think we're often nervous about fasting because our images are like two, two full days without food and, you know, living in a hermitage in the mountains out by Galena, right? You know, that's not what we're always talking about, right? Fasting can happen on a day-to-day basis, and it doesn't always have to be food. Worship. You're here. Amen, right? Worship is a way we are fed. Worship is a way we're in sacred community. Worship is where we hear the word sung proclaimed. It's where we have the sacraments of communion and holy baptism together. Worship is an amazing spiritual practice. And, And whether you watch online or whether you're in person, worship is a way for us to go deeper. Service. Mission and service. That it's not only about conditioning our inner self, but how do we serve others? If Jesus told us to wash people's feet and to serve others, especially on this Martin Luther King weekend when many people will be in service, that is a wonderful way for us to live our faith in service. Here's a hard one for me. Solitude. Solitude is different than the others because it means that we remain in silence by ourselves. As an extrovert, I despise it. Amen, right? It's hard for me. I live by myself, so you would think that's solitude, but I fill it with the television or music or, or talking on the phone to people. And so, because I like to have all this activity, right? But solitude says, no, you shut all that down and you just remain in silence. And in fact, it's a perfect foundation for contemplative prayer, which is a discussion down the line. Discernment. Now, we, we, I don't know, maybe you do. A lot of folks don't practice discernment, which is an intentional time of reflecting prayer, journaling, whatever it may be, to discern, to decide, to listen to where the Spirit is prompting you. And too often, we're making major decisions in our lives without the spiritual discipline of discernment. Evangelism. 
sharing our faith with others. That makes us all nervous in the room, right? You're expecting to print tracts and hang them out at the mall, right? That's not what we're talking about. Do you share your faith with others? Do you share how Christ has made a difference in your lives? Do you invite others into an experience of grace and love? And then finally, the spiritual gift of generosity. Do you give of yourself and do you give of your financial gifts generously? That's a practice of spiritual discipline. Now, there are others. Journaling sometimes gets brought into that as part of meditation or discernment. All of those spiritual disciplines are important. And if we're not, and you're probably like, well, that list is so long, I'm overwhelmed, right? I get that. So it's okay. Take a deep breath. Think of one. I'm going to be more intentional in prayer. Two, maybe I'm going to be more intentional about fasting. I'm going to give up and put my phone away for four hours a day. Or I'm going to stop Twitter for two days a week. I know it sounds horrible, but you'll make it. Amen, right? Or maybe I'm going to fast from TV. Or maybe I'm going to do this. I mean, fasting can be a lot of things, right? But fasting helps us to feel sacrifice. It also helps us to make space for Jesus to enter Space that we've often filled with other things. Amen? Amen. So let's talk about three of those spiritual disciplines in the Scripture today. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can open it on your phone or smart device unless you're fasting from it in this moment. Or there's a red Bible in front of you, and you can turn in the Bible to the New Testament, to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, gospel means good news. Matthew was a tax collector. He wrote this for Jewish Christians. It's a, it's a gospel good news story of Jesus for a Jewish Christian audience that needed to be reminded that their faith of Judaism was very present in their current faith of Christianity. And Matthew's always talking about fulfillment. We saw that last week, remember? Micah chapter 5, verse 2, fulfilled this coming of the Magi. Um, He gave us that whole genealogy, as Pastor Clayton reminded us several weeks ago. So this gospel of Matthew is gearing us toward practices, spiritual practices, that are not new and unique to Christianity, but are rooted in Judaism and the richness of temple and personal worship. Amen? Hello? Amen. So let's look at some verses we didn't read today, but I want you to hear them. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen for them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And this whole text talks about Overly public piety or spiritual discipline practice, whether it's prayer or fasting or giving or whatever, generosity. And, you know, when I read this and spent time with it over the week, I'm like, you know, you know, God, this is really not our problem at Buffalo Grove Kingswood, is it? I don't see many of you on the street corner proclaiming the word of the Lord. Amen, right? It's rare that I see you praying incessantly in public here. And I, if, if you are fasting, I don't know that. But if you, I don't see many of you fasting and coming in and saying, Oh, Pastor, I hope I make it through today. You know I'm fasting, right? In fact, in many ways, the challenge here is not that we are too public in the practice of our faith, but we are too private. Amen. Too often, we don't even practice the disciplines, or if we do, we're very reluctant to share. Now, what Matthew's trying to get to is that there were people, both in synagogue worship, and you know, synagogue is just church, right, and Matthew, and so there were people in the church 
who were doing several things. One is when they were giving their offering, instead of quietly doing it online or placing it in the basket in the fireside room, they were going, Gene, I'm giving my offering now, right? I just want you to see it. Everybody, it's in the basket now, right? <laughs> or there were people who were praying, and they were praying out loud and publicly and and, and so forth, and they wanted people to see them. And In fact, it says in Scripture that some people were hiring a group of trumpets to play when they gave their offering. I thought about that, right? <laughs> or I've already talked about the fasting, the public fasting, right? You know, uh, oh, Pastor, I hope I make it. I'm almost out of energy. I'm fasting, you know, right? Is that our problem? But we can learn some things here about the importance of three spiritual disciplines. Whenever you give your gifts, do not sound a trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give your gifts, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's a metaphor for generosity that's not public. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will see you. Now, I think there's something valuable there. Do you see the intentionality of that prayer? He doesn't say, whenever you have a minute after you've done this and can squeeze in a little prayer, do this, right? He's saying you go to a private place. In fact, some people call that a prayer closet. I don't know if you have a prayer closet, but a friend of mine does. Literally converted one of her closets to a prayer room so she won't be interrupted. She has some candles in that room and the Bible and some prayer books, and that's where she goes. You don't have to do that, but it's always good to have an intentional place. I have a place, a particular chair. I light a particular candle both morning and evening, and I pray in specific ways in a specific place because I know that environment gets me into the space of prayer. I think that's a valuable word for us, right? Well, Pastor, we don't have an extra closet. Well, it doesn't have to be a closet. It could just be a space at a table. It could be in your living room. It could be anywhere. But intentional space, intentional time to pray. And then he goes on, when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That was a common practice of pagan worship was to pray and then add another sentence. And, you know, we're all going, oh, my word. Jan Combe is an amazing prayer. She has 30 phrases already. You know what I'm saying? In fact, there's this simplicity to prayer. I don't know about you, I grew up in a tradition where there was public prayer and worship, and what I mean by that is the pastor randomly called on people to pray. I thought about doing that. It just sounds like fun. I mean, you just never knew. The pastor would say, Brother Jim Copenhaver, will you pray, right? You see what I'm saying? Or Sister Lonnie Vavulus, will you pray today, right? And I remember we were just panicked. And sometimes he called on youth. So you just never knew what James Preston, will you close us in prayer today? And you're just like paralyzed, right? So rest easy, that's not happening today, right? Okay, right. The other thing is, uh, you talk about heaping up phrases. Uh, so when he would call on people to pray, I'm just being honest here, maybe if you grew up in this tradition, there were particular people that if he called upon them, my brother would turn to me and go, oh, no, right? 
There's one particular person, I don't want to say it because you might be watching, uh, but there was one particular person, if his name was called, we knew we were there for 10 more minutes. You know what I'm saying? Matthew reminds us of the simplicity, intentionality of prayer. In fact, I, in, the, in some of your emails this week, you talked about the need to be more intentional. And some of you said, I don't always know what to say, and I feel like my prayers should have more to them. But this says, just be simple. God already knows what you need. Just be intentional. Then the final word is about fasting, and not to make yourself publicly out of control, but to frankly wash your face, trim your beard, put on your clothes, put oil on your head, and don't let anybody know that you're fasting, and let it be your spiritual discipline. And then finally, do not store up yourself treasures on earth. So here we are. We started with giving, and now we return to giving, that our generosity is an important spiritual practice. And clearly from Matthew, he starts and ends with it in this particular section to remind us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. That's just three spiritual disciplines. Some are connected to journaling, discernment, meditation, solitude. I don't know if you journal. I find journaling to be very helpful. That's also sometimes the spiritual spiritual practice or discipline of reflection. And some of you said this week, I don't reflect that way by writing it down, but each night before I go to bed, I reflect. And one person said, I try to come up with 10 things God has done for me in the day, right? And that's really a gift, right? So I'm not here to prescribe how you do it. I'm just inviting you to think about spiritual disciplines that you can strengthen, spiritual disciplines you might embrace, maybe a new one you might try. And you don't have to do all 10. Some people think they're 12. Some people think they're more. Maybe you just take one and begin to work on that in these next weeks together. When I was early in ministry, of course, you know, I was a public school teacher before I was a pastor. I taught junior high and I taught high school. I love junior high. I could have done without high school, right? Now, that's odd, right? Most people don't want to deal with junior high, right? But I love junior high, right, Cheryl, right? I mean, uh, junior high, you get sweet, kind of childlike. And then almost demonic the next minute, right? You know what I'm saying? It's just up and down and up and down and up and down, right? And I loved it. And so I loved teaching. And then so because when I became a minister, I loved it so much, I deemed a junior high camp. That means I was the chair of the junior high camp, 260 junior high kids for three summers in a row. Doesn't that sound like a dream, right? (laughs) One full week at a campground with sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. Amen, right? It was so amazing. What I loved about it was watching them struggle with faith, grow in faith, and always I had a curriculum in worship and so forth. But the thing I want to tell you about is that it was sometimes hard to recruit adult leaders for those camps, right? (laughs) And I remember several times people would say, oh, I'll do it. But I required them to come 24 hours before the camp started for a whole 24 hours of preparation, prayer, learning the curriculum, all the things that you do before you kick off a camp. And, and because we were desperate for people, occasionally folks would say, well, James, I can't get there till the next day, but I know you need people, so I'll get there when I get there. And I would say, don't come. What do you mean? I can't afford for you to come and not be prepared. I can't afford for you to come and not be centered and ready 
for these 260 kids because this is about their faith. This is about their journey. This is about everything that is part of their life with Christ, and we need to be intentional. And if you can't be here 24 hours ahead of time, don't come. We did a lot of things. We'd pray. We'd go pray over the names. We'd decide which groups were which groups. We'd go through the curriculum. We'd do the Bible studies together. Uh, we, would, we would hang out together. We'd build community together. But one of my favorite things of leading those folks to prepare for the camp was to prepare them for the trail to the cross. So the camp I spent time with as a kid and later as an adult was Cedar Canyon Methodist Camp, which is in a deep canyon in northwest Texas. And on the rim of the canyon is this beautiful cross that lights up at night, right? Leave it to the Methodists to have a light-up cross, right, you know? And so what you did, usually several nights a week, is that you would lead your small group or you'd lead the whole group up this kind of treacherous trail to the top, and then you'd gather around the cross and the light would come on. You would watch the sunset over the canyon. It was beautiful, right? Sometimes you'd do that in the morning. But you had to be careful. It was a tough trail. Because that path went certain ways to kind of go up the side of the canyon. You had to remember to turn here carefully because if you went too far out, the rock would crumble. You had to be careful when you went over here because there was a rattlesnake den just down the way. You had to be careful about rocks and climbing. And you had to be cautious about how you came up over the top and how you came back down. And I remember taking those sponsors, those adult leaders, every year at night up that deal and having to say, you've got to prepare yourself to climb to the rim of the canyon. Because once you get to the top, it's worth the whole journey. But you can't just do it without preparation, right? And every night, we would gather and bring kids up to the top of that canyon rim and watch the sunset and the light come on. And we'd pray and sing together. And what a glorious moment it was. But it happened because we were preparing ourselves to walk the path. Friends, the disciplines are not a place to make us feel guilty. Amen? The disciplines are a way for us to strengthen this journey on the path. They're the ways to keep us from rattlesnake dens and crumbling rock. They're the way for us to connect more deeply to Jesus. And I just invite you as we continue this series to commit yourself to one or maybe two of those disciplines just to go a bit deeper. Maybe you journal tonight. Maybe you pray every morning. I, I get up every morning. I do my first spiritual discipline, which is making coffee. Amen, right? <laughs> I think Jesus drank coffee. I, just, I don't have any proof, but I just sense it, right? But I make coffee, and then I sit in this particular chair and light this particular candle and read this particular book, and then I read a scripture, and then I meditate on it. And it's not like a long morning. I'm not there for five hours, right? But it is a way for me to be conditioned for this journey. So that unlike the night after basketball, I'm not crawling out of bed unsure how I'm going to make it through the day. I don't know about you, friends. More than ever, and maybe it's just this time in my life with my mother's illness. Maybe it's just the brokenness of the world. But I'm hungry. I long for a deeper relationship with Jesus. And maybe you do too. Will you pray with me?
Gracious God, we thank you that you love us so, so much. We thank you for this path, this journey with Jesus that we walk together. And we thank you for these disciplines, these practices of prayer, generosity, journaling, reflection, discernment, scripture, meditation, all of these practices that are here to help us strengthen and to be focused and to be ready to receive a message from you. We long for you. We are thirsty for you. We are hungry for you. And we pray as we walk this path together over these next few weeks, we will be more intentional to prepare ourselves to encounter you once again. Thank you, God, for loving us so much, so very, very much. Amen.